I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to health care, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit UH1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. I like those videos. Um, I do. I, I, there's, there's, it just shows people's journeys and how they've completely changed from when they were a player into a manager. Uh, what you mean, uglier and fatter? No, not at all. Yeah. That's not what I meant. That's not what I meant. Well, for anyone listening on Spotify who doesn't have the, the, the pleasure of viewing this, but is listening that voice there that you'll have heard, I am joined tonight by none other than currently an Orient manager, Mr. Richie Wellens. Richie, how are you doing? You all right? I'm very good, thank you. Got a bit of a cold and a and a flu in last week or so, but excuse my voice, I'll do my best. It's it's going around. I think we've all got it. I've had it, and it's it's just yeah. It, it, I mean, it knocked me for six. So the fact that you're here, I'd I'd have cried off tonight. So don't worry about it. But thank you very much for for being here. Um, when weirdly, I, I didn't do great with the announcement of this podcast because I tried to make it like a game and tried to get people to guess, and the first guess was you. Like they literally just went Richie Wells because I think it was because of the hashtags of the clubs that I tagged because I tagged every club that you'd been a part of, and it's quite obvious when you're tagging Manchester United, Swindon, Doncaster, <laughs> and Leighton Orient. It's like, well, it's, you know, you've got one player there at that point and one manager, so everyone dived in straight away. But then questions came, and we we've got some very very good questions coming here, and we'll see if we might put you on the spot and see what you've got to say. Um, so before we do, first of all, this season, how how how's things going for you? How are you finding League One after you know dominating us all last year? I think we had a tough start. <clears throat> I think there these reasons behind the tough start. We we signed a couple of players late, mm-hmm. um, and when you sign players late, they need to get fit, and we didn't have an opportunity to get them fit in friendlies or in training. We need to put them straight in. So out of our first four games, we only got one point, and since then I've been really happy. We've we've yeah. We've had a few too many draws of recent weeks, but again, injuries have kicked in. We've lost Jordan Graham, who, who is one of the best players in the league. He's a big loss for us. Um, but from a position, a position where a newly promoted team has got off to a bad start, we have stabilised ourselves. 
um, were very, very difficult to beat. We've only lost three and 14 in the league and, and then three games has been has been by one goal. So we're in every single game. Um, we need to be better in a final third, which with the players that we've got and a lot of young players, it's just a process that we have to go through. And sometimes a coach, manager, can be, it can be hard because you want yeah. results now, but you need to be patient with these young players and, and keep, you know, encourage them to, to play the right way, which we, we're doing at the moment. We played... We played Bristol Rovers away on, on Tuesday night and, and had 65% possession, which no one really does that against Bristol. So we just need to tidy up in the final third. But um, we've got a lot of players that as the season goes on, then they'll keep improving. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's that's important there because it's something that you, you started last season with, with Orient was making you guys hard to beat at home, especially. like I, I witnessed my team come there on what I felt was good form and we just fell to pieces when we were up against you because you were, you were such a, a strong presence across the entire field. Um, for, as far as like being promoted, do you feel that... W- was this the aim? You sort of sit in mid-table at the moment, that first season when you go up at, from, from any side, really, to solidify your position in the league before then looking to next season progress further is that kind of where you're at at the minute i think it's all relative to what club you're at okay. so for example you're you're a bradford supporter i think bradford's an absolute monster in league two i think if they get promoted to league one they should be ready to go again because the infrastructure the crowd that you have it allows you to do that you only have to look at you know plymouth got promoted to the championship last year in their mm-hmm. first season back they finished 18 um bolton it took bolton two or three years to go from league yeah. two to, to league one and then it's it's later across, you know. Sunderland took a few years. Portsmouth took a, a, a took an age to, to go up. So it's a really really difficult league. I think it depends on what club you have. Obviously, finance is a big part of that. But um, what we want to do is the real. Are we really realistically going to get promoted in our first year? It would have been really really tough. So what we needed to do is put things in 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 in, in place where the second and third season we had a, we've got a three year plan to get in the top six of. Of League One, so we need to make the right steps. What we don't want to do is rush out and buy, not buy because we're not going to buy players, but go and get free transfers that are 31, 32, 33 years old that are experienced at the level that are going to do a really, really job, a good job short term. But then in a year's time, we might have to get them out and get new yeah. players and we start again. So we're trying to do it the right way. Um, it just it just does take a, a little bit longer. And, and I think the good thing with with Orient is considering where the club has been over the last sort of decade or so, the things that have, the club have seen, the fans have witnessed, they've got a lot of patience for this sort of project. And you find it a lot of clubs, like you, you mentioned Bradford there, Bradford fans don't have that patience when it comes to, you know, if if a Bradford manager came in and said, I have a three-year plan to solidify, then build upon, the, the fans would be up in <coughs> arms. And I, I, th- I feel like because of what they've been through and because they've seen, you know, what can happen if you try and overshoot before you're ready or if you, you know you're bringing those players that aren't necessarily going to be three four five year long players um and then you have to replace and start again every 12 months you end up in that position where you slip backwards um and you don't want to do that and I, I actually it's it's quite admirable from every orient fan that i speak to says the same thing everyone's along and bought into this project and that's a really really rare thing i think in in lower league football especially um I find that you find with the teams that have maybe dropped into the National League or have come from the National League, they've got a lot more respect for that and they've got a lot more time for those projects. Whereas your other clubs, you know, your Bradford, your Swindons, they, they want it now and it's really, really difficult for to, for the fans to, to grasp. Um, I mean, for you, obviously, you've you've 
you're, you're having a phenomenal time at Orient, but I, I want to touch back on, on last season because last, <laughs> last season was awful to watch for me. I, I hated watching it because Steve Evans always seems to get one over on us. And he was pushing you guys, obviously, Stephen, no one expected them to be up there with you. You guys were up there and you set that standard pretty early. When Stevenage were kind of close and, and you were looking at them, and I think they had quite a few games in, in hand. They had to play you twice over the Christmas period and January period and things like that. How do you as a manager prepare your players for a team that really, aside from those two games, you've not got much control over what they do? You know, if they win all their games in hand, it, it doesn't matter what you do, if that makes any sense. Like, how do you prepare your players to be ready for them to, to catch you, essentially? You, you don't prepare for the opposition. So whatever Steve, it's no good us preparing. If Stephen is, I've got Carlisle on Tuesday night and we've got Northampton at home on a Tuesday night, the only thing that we can worry about is ourselves. And what we do is we just set standards in training and set a culture around the club very, very early on that, you know, my eyes weren't lying to me. I could see every single week from Monday mm -hmm. to Friday that everything we was doing was doing right. Was we going to win every single week? Not, no, because it's pretty impossible to do that. So we knew that if we was in a training ground doing Monday to Friday, the correct decisions, the right work ethic, giving as much detail to the players as we, as we possibly could, them taking it on board as best they can, and then mm -hmm. them carrying it on a Saturday. The fans were all on board. You know, every time yeah. we played a home yeah. game last year, the the atmosphere and the and the, the atmosphere and the feel around the, the ground was was exceptional. So mm -hmm. we only concentrate on ourselves. You can't you can't be looking at um what other teams are going to do. I used that overthinking things and, mm. and then you actually start veering away from what is the most important thing and that's your own staff and your own players. I like that because you, you do see other managers that do maybe focus a little bit on the other teams too much. You know, they have all they always have things to say about the teams around them and you, you find week in, week out, they'll, they'll make comments. And yeah, I, I agree there. I think you focus on you, you do what you know you can control. Um, yeah, big fan of that. Big fan of sort of taking control of what you can Nothing else is in your control. Why worry about it? You know, they'll do what they're going to do. You know what you can do. So I'm going to go on to some questions for you here. I'm kind of going backwards. I didn't I usually start at the, the beginning of the career, which, do you know, no, actually, I will. I'll go back to the beginning because I have a, I want to talk about really quickly Man United because you were there at probably one of the most successful times that that club has had. I believe, did you leave in 2000? Am I right in saying? Yeah. So you were there over that sort of that treble season. You you saw all all that. Um, what age did you join Manchester United? How old? Did you um, well, it's probably about eight or nine. The, the centre of excellence then was run by, well, Brian Kidd and Nobby Styles. Um, yeah. So there was a, a, a local scout called Tom Corliss scouted me, and then Brian Kidd came and watched me and took me in at the centre of excellence at the Cliff. Mm. Um, back then it was only one night a week, just on a Tuesday. Um, and we just used to play five sides every day. Um, it wasn't it wasn't now where there's a load of phases of play and there's loads of different kind of work. It was literally play five sides, get a sweat on, and then go home. And obviously, yeah. then you graduate through the clubs and you got the age groups. I was privileged to work with some really really good coaches. Uh, Warren Joyce, who's now at Nottingham Forest, Paul McGuinness, who was an outstanding youth coach, mm. and then Jim, uh, sorry, Eric Harrison, who was who's obviously famous for the the class of '92. Um, he was really, really good for me, a father, a father figure, disciplinarian, which I needed at the time. Um, my downfall kind of started when he had to retire. They just coincided with each other. So um, I was privileged to work with some 
really, really good youth coaches. Yeah, I know. I, I, I was reading, obviously, it, you can take news articles and things like that with a, with a pinch of salt, but it, oh, that's kind of all we have to go on, I suppose, when, we, when we're looking up for things like this. And it said you really you got out of there because you felt there was a lack of opportunities that you were you were getting at Man United, and then then you ended up at I believe it was Blackpool. Am I right in saying? Yeah, yeah. I don't, it wasn't a lack of opportunities. So I was from the ages of sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, probably just under nineteen. You know, I was in all the England youth age groups with the, mm-hmm. with the likes of Wes Brown, who was at United with me as well. Yeah, Stephen Gerrard, Joe Cole, um, Ashley Cole, oh. Jonathan Woodgate. So it was a real, real good. Know, brilliant set of players in England and I was with them mm. but then I seen them being professional dedicating their lives to, to what they needed to do you know I wasn't I, was, I had issues away from the pitch in terms of my concentration going away from my football didn't develop my, my mobility my, my physical aspects the best that I could right. and um, you know when you've got Keane Scholes Beckham Giggs in midfield <laughs> yeah. they were 20 I think Keane was probably the oldest at 24 and you're 19. You have to, you know, look yourself in the mirror and say, listen, I probably need a reset here. I need to start again and go away and, and start focusing on trying to get back up the leagues. That's, I suppose that's fair enough. That's a, that's a different way of looking at things. Um, you, you mentioned Wes Brown. Um, Wes Brown was in sort of the same year group as you, I think, coming up. Was was John O'Shea as well? No, Shazy was um, probably a year younger, but because right. he was so good... Him and Darren Fletcher was always played played up up a year. So, you know, Shazy was Wes, Wes Brown was could have potentially been the best the best defender that England has ever seen. The, wow. the injuries that he had, I think he ruptured both Achilles, done both ACLs. You know, they took a toll on him, but unbelievable athlete, fantastic player, hard as nails. Shazy yeah. could football a two footed, could play midfield, centre half, right back, left back. So you have these global superstars like your Beckhams and your Giggs, mm-hmm. your Rio Ferdinands and your Ronaldos and Dwight York and all these top, real unbelievable players. But then you need uh, the glue to fit all these together. And people like John O'Shea and, General, and yeah. Darren Fletcher was, was really good at that. Never moaned and, and went in and done a job for the team. And John O'Shea has the most bizarre run a footballer has ever had. Like The way that he runs just always... I remember I went to watch Man United... Uh, I think they played Olympiacos in the Champions League around 2007 or something like that. And I went to watch and it was my first time I'd been and seen them live. And, and I, I ended up the second half just watching John O'Shea run because I was like, this is incredible. This he, Everything about what I'm watching right now says that that man should not be a footballer. But then when he got the ball <laughs> or when a challenge went in, he, he was you just couldn't get past him. Um, I think he scored that game as well. I believe he scored right towards the end of the game. Like I was delighted. I'd like man, I'd watched that man the entire game. I was like, this, this guy's great. Um Obviously, growing up a lower league fan, I didn't pay much attention to the Premier League, got an opportunity to go, and it was like, yeah, there's a big difference. You know, like you say, you've got these superstars and they, they genuinely have like that aura around them. Don't they? Just, just standing there, you can see yeah. that there's just something about these people. Um, so, so one thing I noticed when I was looking at sort of your playing career and then comparing it to your managerial career is that there's a lot of clubs that you managed where you also played, which... I think kind of as a testament to you and to what you were like as a player, because the, no one ever had any complaints about Richie Wellens as a player for their club. And I think the fact that they all welcomed you back as manager shows that like you, you'd done well at all these clubs so much so that they wanted to see you progress and they wanted to see you take their club to the next level. For you, you, you played at Leicester for a time period under Sven-Goran Eriksson, which again is 
just surreal. Like that's that's mad. I think that's that's such a, a wild story. But which club? I'm thinking maybe probably Blackpool, maybe maybe Leicester. Which club would you say as a player you felt most at home? You felt like it was your best time as a player. Uh, well, the best footballer played was, was Doncaster, without a doubt, under under Sean O'Driscoll. Um, the team that we had there at Championship level, without any real big superstars at the time, um, was a really really good team. And then at the end of that season, you know, four five probably five or six players got moved to bigger clubs. Yeah. Um, and then probably my first two or three years at Leicester as well. So I had a five five year period where I thought I was in my prime. Um, okay. They were the most. That was the most I enjoyed with football and felt that, you know, I had an understanding of what was required of me on the, the pitch. It was experience where I could play average and still win, which is yeah. a good thing to have as a football player. Um, Absolutely. And then when I got to the age of 33, I'd done the ACL and then that was kind of the beginning of the end for me because I had really good players coming from behind at Leicester. And then obviously yeah. when you have an injury like that at that age, it's really difficult to come back from. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I've got, you've just mentioned Sean O'Driscoll there. And as soon as you said Sean O'Driscoll, I was like, I've got a question about Sean O'Driscoll um, that, that a Doncaster fan sent in from me. And it's, it, this is a quote from <coughs> Sean O'Driscoll and it's regarding the playoff final against Leeds. And I've been told to ask you what it was like playing against Leeds in the League One playoff final after having an injection in your ass. That is the exact <laughs> quote from Sean O'Driscoll. And that's how he phrased it. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure you can imagine how I felt seeing that drop in my inbox, thinking, ah, how do I word this? But you said, just ask you. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, no, what it was is we we needed to beat Cheltenham away. Um, right. The last game of the season, it was us, Swansea, and, and Nottingham Forest going going for two positions, and we need to beat Cheltenham. We was pretty confident Cheltenham mm. needed to win to stay up, and we need to win to get automatic promotion. And I needed a double hernia in the first half. I was so bad that. You just go to push off. You look at the ball. He just takes that, mm. struggling to really get going. And at half time, he, he dug me out in front of the players, and he said, "Are you, are you carrying a caravan?" So I weren't happy about it, which I, we had a little bit of a disagreement. Anyway, we ended up losing the game, um, and we had to win the playoffs. Um, we then played the first leg away at Southend. We drew nil nil. In the afternoon of the game, I just couldn't get up out of bed. It was hurting me that much. I just couldn't get out of bed. I needed the surgery, but obviously, by the time you have the surgery and the the rehabilitation, you're not going to make you're not going to make any of the playoff no. games or the final. Um, so we drew nil-nil in the first leg, and then luckily I was I was fit enough to play in the second leg after a couple of injections. James Coppinger was outstanding in that game. We won five-nil. Coppinger scored a hat trick. I came off after an hour and rested for the final, and then um, before the final, about you can only have it twenty minutes before the kickoff because otherwise it wears off. I had one right. in each, each bum cheek and then one in the hernia as well. So I think it lasted about 65, 70 minutes. And when, when it wears off, you can just feel the pain coming back. So that's the story behind that. Wow. So fr from your perspective then, did, did you kind of keep that from the club when you realised or was it something that the club picked up on the, the, the double hernia? Or did you think if I tell them this, they're gonna make me, I'm going to miss out, so I'm going to keep it in. I'm not going <coughs> to no, try I and I, I knew I needed it because I had a problem where I just couldn't push off properly. Yeah. Um, but obviously, then once the physio said I needed it, I was aware of it. I'm trying to just play play through it. And then once Sean dug me out half time, I, even though he was right, I wasn't playing well and just couldn't. I wasn't happy about him actually digging me out. So it was probably a good thing in the end. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, listen, played Leeds, Bradford fan, 
happy either way for me. So, yeah. you know, there's, there's there were a few things I was reading. It was like victories against Huddersfield. I'm like, I like this guy. Beat Huddersfield. Beat like, like we'll just we'll go with it. Um, so yeah, no, that the, the Sean O'Driscoll one immediately. As soon as you mentioned his name, I was like, I've got to ask the question now. I was going to avoid it originally, but it's fine. It's, it's not an issue. Um, so you, your best time as as a as a player, uh, you, you feel was at Donny. You obviously went back there as as a manager. Now. This is where, for, for me, some of the some of the questions have come in. A lot of them are around the management side at Donny and when you were there. And obviously, Donny fans still hold you in such high regard, that, like top to bottom. Um, a lot of the questions sort of come around the... Well, you know, before we get to the, the ownership side of things, th- there was a question regarding, I think it was the last summer transfer window you had at Doncaster. Um, and it was mentioned that... You, As I think a player. You missed, as, no, no. As as a manager, this is when you were a manager. Then. So I only had one. Tra- I only had one transfer window as a manager. Right, last window. Do you know the, the Donny fans? Yeah. Um, so yeah. Well, they they basically said in that summer transfer window, um, did you miss out on on the likes of Louis Reed and, and and Dan Crowley over that window? Is that correct? Yeah, they came, they both of them players came in for trial, hmm. um, but the wages that they wanted, we couldn't we couldn't afford it. No, and that, that the question was if if you could have done that window different. Do you feel that you would do now looking back or do you, are you one of those that's kind of, you know, it happened, it happened, I've done it how I've done it, I wouldn't change it? Um, no, I think I was a little bit naive going in there in the first place. My my head was telling me no, mm-hmm. but my heart was obviously telling me yes. Um, the message from the club is, is this is a, a rebuild. You know, we, we're going to be around the bottom because of the budget available. Um, so, <clears throat> Darrell Gordon, an incredible job. Mm-hmm. The first yeah. part of it first part of the previous season but then from December onwards as soon as Ben Whiteman was, was sold and that money wasn't reinvested in the squad the team really began to struggle under first of all it was Andy Butler and, and then when I took over but the problem is sometimes when you go into a rebuild you need to get players out to free up money or you're lucky and you've got a load of players out and you've got loads of, of, of free money to, to then go and invest in the squad I had that similar situation at, at Swindon but yeah Doncaster lost the likes of Ben Whiteman, Josh Sims, uh, Robertson, John Jules, Taylor Richards, um, Ellery Balcom. They was all the best players, but it was all alone players, and he was paying very, very minimal fees for that. So you lose seven players, yeah. but you've actually got no capital coming in. So yeah. it's, it's really, really difficult to replace them. And then when you go in to, to build a squad again, a lot of my squad was built on free or really low fee loans. We had Dahlberg, we had Matt Smith from Arsenal, Ethan Galbraith, um, and when you pay, you're not paying any money for them players. No. They're, they're basically really low, low, low loan players. So um, I think the, 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 my available budget when I went in there, it was existing offers out to Brad Halliday, uh, Rhys James. I think Joe Wright. He was waiting for his injury, but it was a, a contract offer for him. Um, John. Bostock had a clause in his contract that triggered an extra year on significantly more money. Um, what, if we would have kept them three players, the budget would have been nearly almost took up, took up as it is. So it was a wow. really, really, really tight, tight budget. And I, would, I think that's I would, imagine, kind of... I would imagine now they've got a bigger budget now in League Two than than I did in League One. Yeah, I think I think that was something that was kind of. Uh 
pointed out over the summer. I know, I know the one of the owners came out and said that there'd be there'd be significant investment this year because last year obviously wasn't good enough. Um, and I think they brought in something like 15, 16 players this summer. And you look at the players that they have brought in. Yes, you're looking at free transfers and things, but the, these aren't players that'll be coming on on lower end League Two wages. So yeah, they they, they probably have got that higher budget. And um, I mean, you, you've touched on it there, like budgets and things like that. There's a lot of questions from Doncaster fans a minute that surround the the owners. Um, the people, a lot of people aren't happy with how the club's been run. From, from your perspective, while you were there, what was the atmosphere like in the background? You know, trying to <laughs> focus on the things on the pitch, but obviously you, you've you've still got to manage that background politics and, and things that are off the field. How was that for you? I don't really think you know. Some clubs is a lot of politics. So when I first started out my managerial career at Oldham, the yeah. politics were through the roof. Like if you could yeah. pick a problem. And obviously they've escalated, and you look where Oldham are now. Obviously they're on the way back up now with, with Frank who took over. But there was politics all over the place, all yeah. over the place. And it wasn't really that Doncaster to say that, that Gavin Baldwin's a good guy. Yeah. You know, he's very, very supportive. And I can only say this as they're speaking to me. Whether there was things going on in the background, which I think there was, and I can't, I can't comment on that. I can only see what how they was with me. Yeah. Gavin Baldwin was fine with me, and um, David Blunt actually thought he was a nice guy. You know, the biggest, my biggest frustration was, you know, David Blunt would want to know the team. He would want to know the tactics. And I would sit him down and explain exactly the way they were going to play, exactly the way that the opposition are going to play on a Thursday. And we'd get beat on a Saturday because I just haven't got the players to complete in that league, playing Sheffield mm -hmm. Wednesday. Team. Yeah. And we'd get beat. And exactly how we done well in the game was exactly what I said to David and exactly how we lost the game was so everything I was seeing I was painting the pictures for him before they even happened yeah. but we just didn't we just didn't have the budget there was no real politics but there was a little bit of politics when I tried to sign Will Grigg and um, I was promised Will Grigg from Sunderland and we part of me getting Will Grigg in was that I had to get Omar Bogle out of the club yeah. um, obviously I wanted Will Grigg in so then I said to Omar that you need to go to Bradford. I think it was Bradford at the time. Um, and he said no to Bradford, which is fine. It's his prerogative. And then David said to me that, OK, Omar Bogle doesn't get another Doncaster Rovers squad, of which I've said, that's fine, but I still need Will Grigg. OK, yeah. not, a, not a problem. We'll get Will Grigg done. We, we, we messed about that long that Rotherham had come in and, and snatched Will Grigg off us. And then we ended up trying to get Aidan O'Brien, of which the paperwork didn't go in through in time. And then we ended up, I think I probably played 50% 50 of my games at Doncaster without having a striker. We had a young kid who was who was a backup but mm. that we needed to play, but we hadn't signed him to play. But I think I spent 50% of my games not having a striker. And then the window closes, yeah. and then you, you end up signing players that you know that you don't really want to put your name to and, and, and that you don't want to sign, but you're desperate. Mm. So, so Omar Bogle essentially wasn't was there, but you, you just couldn't use him at that point because he'd refused the deal elsewhere. Is that right? Well, Omar had three or four clubs come in for him within 24 hours of the window shutting, which he said yeah. no to each one. And then with my conversations, my with with the with the chairman and, and with the CEO was tell Omar that he's not part of the plans going forward. And once we get him out, we can get a new striker in. Once I put them proposals of the clubs to Omar and he said no, I then relate that back to the ownership and he said, okay, no problem, get him out anyway. I will still give you Will Grigg. 
wow. because he'd said no, obviously it wasn't happy. And, and people can, fans always say they don't really know what goes on in the background. Um, and it was interesting that when I left Omar Bogle, wasn't in the squad for two or three weeks, and then he was back in the squad. So uh, that was probably the only bit of politics that I experienced at the club. There's a, there's a lot of good people at the club. It's just yeah. the atmosphere, and you know it, what you know what it is. John Ryan's a really really big personality to follow, yeah. and he had the supporters on the side. You know what? As a player, you felt that if you if you do really well, you know he loves the club as a, as a supporter of the club. And the rewards will be there, um, but when but when you don't really see the chairman, or the, there's no interaction, there's no real chemistry between the the, the, the board and and the and the supporters. It become it can become difficult. And, and to be fair to Terry Bramall, he puts his money and he spends a lot of money in the club, but he didn't really want to be seen. I, I very rarely seen Terry. He was supportive when I spoke to him, but I very very rarely rarely seen him. And in terms of financially, he didn't really want to put any money into the club. Wow. And then obviously you, you left Omar Bogle ended up leaving. I think he went to Hartlepool. Um, and then I believe, yeah, I think he signed a two-year deal at Hartlepool. And I think six months in, ended up leaving and going to Newport. Is that now, isn't it? Um, yeah. Was he as big into his music back then as he as he is now? I don't know if you've seen his his, his, his <laughs> rap career. That he's, he's No, I mean, I heard a few mad. stories about Omar before I went to the club. Um, yeah. That he wasn't um particularly good player. But he was a sorry, but he was a really, really bad lad. And mm. I actually thought, you know what? He's a, he was a really good lad. Didn't have a problem with Omar at all. Towards the end, he went on social media and done a few things that, you know, yeah. I think he's seen that we was losing every week, and he thought, hang on a minute, I can jump on this and I can add more pressure, which I, I kind of get. I didn't have yeah. a problem with Omar, not at all. Um, no. Did I think he had enough? Did he think he had, he, he had enough quality to to play at the top end of League One? I didn't. I think I've been proven right with the clubs that he's had since. So that I didn't have, in terms of personality, I didn't really have any, any problems. I just thought we needed better to be where Doncaster always wanted, or yeah. I wanted them to be, or I seen them in yeah. terms of my my images of when I was a player there. You know, yeah. you're playing in the championship, it was a full house every week. All right, yeah. might be three or four thousand away fans, but when a keep mops full, it's a really good atmosphere. You know, yeah. it, it was, we just didn't have the players nowhere near. Nowhere near the squad, the players to, to take the club forward. And again, it's not it's not rocket science. People always say, "Do you do a good do you do a good job or a bad job?" I always say, "A manager does a good job. Look at the uh, thirty games before you take over, and look at the thirty games after, and it gives yeah. you a good indication of if a manager does a good job." Okay, I was treading water at Doncaster, but you know, since I've left, look what's happened. Yeah, and, and I think that's kind of. Again, this this is why I was saying the fans hold you in such high regard. I don't think any anyone out there, any Doncaster fan, sort of puts the blame on what's happened on your shoulders. I get um, that, I get that. But still, yeah. when I'm having to go away, sorry, yeah. at home, and and try and put a team on the pitch that I'm proud of, and the supporters yeah. can be pleased with and spend Doncaster working. It's a working town. Yeah, they yeah. put the hard-earned money into seeing a product, and they've been delivered a product under six, seven years under Sean O'Driscoll, and then Grant McCann. And I wanted, I wanted to give them that. Yeah. But when I look at my team sheet and I look at the opposition's team sheet, and I think if I, you know, I think tactically I was really good there. Yeah. But I can play ninety-five percent of this game perfect, but we can still lose. Yeah, yeah. You've got Wiggins, you've got Ipswiches, and you know I was playing the likes of Joe Olawu, Brandon yeah. Horton, Max, and these these had potential to be decent players. 
He just was young. And when you put yeah. seven or eight young players together at the same time in League One, you concede goals, you concede from set plays, and it's really, really difficult. And that's exactly what it was. And, and it's very easy in League One. You know, I, I experienced it. Twenty, I think 2017, we were in the, the playoff final in League One. And within two years, we were back in League Two. Like, it's very, very easy to to, to get, you know, if that, if that money's not there to be able to compete, it's very easy to just drop back down and end up yeah. in those those problem positions. And, and that's what happened to us. And, you know, we came back down and it's, yeah, it's it's a very, very slippery slope and it's hard to, to get out of. Um, one last question on Doncaster. And you, you've mentioned there, you spoke <coughs> about like the team that you played under at Doncaster. You wanted to give the fans that. You wanted to give them that feeling that they, they sort of had when you had that team. And it is a simple question. Like that was considered like the golden era for, for Doncaster fans, that team that you played in. How was it playing in that squad under O'Driscoll? Like, how did you feel? Like, how confident was the entire place? Like, because it, it, it seemed to just be like I hated playing Doncaster around those times. Anytime <laughs> we had anything when we we drew you in the cup a few, I hated any time we had to face Doncaster um, because they just you were so hard to break down. How was it for you guys? I actually done a lot of research before signing for the club. I was a free agent from from Oldham, yeah. and I had quite a few offers for from bigger clubs but I had to move and I didn't really want to move at the time mm-hmm. um, and I looked at a lot of players I looked at a lot of the videos and I thought you know what we had the likes of Jim O'Connor uh, Gary Roberts um, Brian Stock James Coppinger um, James Haytuts some really really good players really good players and I thought you know what I think we can and I, I like the way that Sean played football I think we can do something yeah. and the first one or two months and you can you can I don't know if you could have a podcast with any other players that have played with me at Doncaster. But, you know, I went in there and I was really, really shocked at what I've seen. I've seen a lot mm. of talented players that wanted to go through the motions, wanted to drift, wanted to train at 50-60%. And I, I come in and, you know, I'm at it every day in training. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not fouling people on purpose, but I'm being aggressive. <laughs> and I'm training yeah. like I play. And I You're not pulling your tackles. Well, no, well, no not, not at all. And when I'm, when I'm doing anything, I try and do it to the best of bit. I know real intent. Again, going back to when I was a younger player at United and I didn't do them, I didn't have them standards. So no. I made a conscious effort that I was always going to have them standards from, from there on in. Um, you know, after probably one or two months, the players are probably looking at me and going, he's a moaning git, which I was, I loved the moan, but I wanted people to do it right. Um, and then within within nine months of, of me signing for the club, they've gone from mid-table and we're beating Leeds at Wembley in front of 80,000. So... You know, I'd like to think that I was a, a big part of setting standards. That's some really, really talented players, really yeah. talented players. And as I said, then we went, we got promoted to the championship. One season in the championship, Brian Stock went to Burnley. Gareth Roberts went to Derby. So I think Jim O'Connor went to Derby. A lot of players got really, really good moves. But yeah, um, yeah. yeah we probably went from and looking at me going, is he a bit um, too moaning? Is he too... Is, can he can he disrupt the group to actually yeah. going, you know what? He's doing it on the pitch. And I like that as well. I like putting pressure on people because I knew that if I'm giving it them and I'm putting it on them, I have to perform myself. Yeah. Um, and I think in that two-year period, I would say that I could probably count on one hand Cheltenham, that last game at halftime, <laughs> being one of them when I wasn't really at it. Yeah. I, I like that. I like that. You've, you've, you've mentioned um, Oldham a few times. Um, we actually did... Uh, we did a, a few episodes on Oldham when we first started doing things. When when this was when <coughs> we were kind of towards the bottom of League Two, um, 
there was them and Scunthorpe. We did we did things on both because we thought we felt that things were just going on really really silently. Like as a, a fan of an opposition club, we weren't hearing what was happening. And when we opened that door, some of the things that we found out that had been going on, not just with the it was I think the, the Lemsigams at that point who were the owners, but the, the previous owners and and how it had kind of just spiraled. When when you were there at Oldham, was was there a, a sort of a any any indications at all? I suppose I'm looking more from the manager's perspective that those problems were coming. Um, we, we interviewed Pete Wilde as an example. Obviously, was at was at Oldham at one point, and he he said that he could see what was coming, and it's one of the reasons he didn't accept his contract extension. W- was that similar for you, or was it was everything all right there <coughs> at that point? No, so I so when I first took over, John Sheridan was brilliant. He got me in as a coach, and yeah. and um, unfortunately for him, we 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 started the season off really really poorly. And Simon Corney came to me and said, Rich, uh, John and Tommy Wright are leaving. Will you take the team? And I was like, Simon, listen, I'm not ready. And I don't think we can score a goal, never mind us winning the game. And this was on the, I think we'd just been beat 5-1 off Rotherham. And this was on the Monday morning. We had Peter for the day after. And he went, Rich, I've got no one else. Can you please do it? And and I like Simon. He's a great guy. So I said, yeah, no problem. We ended up winning 3-2. Peter was second in the league. We then beat um, Ports of the Way on the Saturday 2-0. We then beat Crew on the Tuesday and then we beat Blackburn. So from going where we won one in nine, we've now won yeah. four on the bounce. You can't do anything other than, than, than take the job, even though I still didn't think I was, I was ready. Yeah. Um, but I have to say on the side of McCorney, yeah, the, 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 the wages were paid, paid late, but he would give you a two-week head up. He'd just say, listen, the, the wage is going to be two or three days late. Any players that, these players live from month to month. They're not, yeah, yeah. They're not millionaires that can go into a savings account. Any direct debits that get bounced and, and it's down to us not paying them, bringing the receipt, we'll pay all that. And it was fine. It, it you know, we there was issues and obviously it was it was hard. But I think in the first 17 games we won we got 32 points. And only mm. Wigan and, and, and Blackburn, who went up that year, had, had got more points. And then the takeover was on the horizon and we could see little things happening. We could see things happening under John Sheridan, where mm. six or seven trialists would arrive from France, from Belgium, from this, that, the other, and we'd, we'd go out and trial and we'd say, no, they're not good enough, when all of a sudden now, before we even brought them in after the trial, they'd been given a two-year, three-year deal. So wow. the signing players behind, behind John Sheridan's back. Um, so that had already started, but once the, the, the takeover happened in full, that's when you get the issues of telling you what formation to make, uh, to, to pick, telling you what players to pick, um, oh. discipline this player, but not this player. And then it just really happens. I'll never forget, we, Craig Davis was, was desperate to leave because Charlton had just lost Josh McGuinness, who went to Bolton. And uh, Craig Davis had a year left. Sorry, he mm. had six months left at this time on a certain amount of money, of which Wigan have come and offered him a two-and-a-half-year deal. Sorry, not Wigan, Charlton offered him double his money for the next two-and-a-half years. Craig Davis was 33. So I had an honest conversation with Craig and I was like, Craig, okay, I totally get it. I'll let you go. And I was going to sign Devante Cole from, from Fleetwood. Yeah. And I thought it was a good a good swap. Um, a young goal scorer who was on the upward curve. Uh, we could use the, the money, what we're getting from Charlton to pay for that. And he's just, the owner just went, no, Craig is a fighter. He He's staying. I said, but he, Craig is a fighter and he's done great for us. Him and Owen Donald have scored a lot of goals for me. Yeah. But if you say no to this move, you will see a different Craig Davis. And he said no, and Craig Davis stayed. And 
I think I don't Craig was not happy and, and he kind of no. down tools from that, but we can't blame him put, though, can we you? We kind of put him in that situation, yeah. Yeah, you can't blame him because like you say, they, these guys are living month to month. Um the, the, and I've said this so many times, like as, as a professional, especially like a lower league player, someone who plays sort of around League One, League Two their entire career, people look and they, they see they see wages and you know it, it might be a couple of thousand pounds a week, but what people have got to realise is they've got to kind of half that because when they retire, you know, at 36, 37 years old, they've they've then got to live. They've still got to carry on. You know, they've got and, and also years at, left. at that level, one injury they've done. So yeah. then a lot of them have not got a second skill or a second living. So, yeah. you know, they're struggling. And I would never be good to your, a, a player from, from moving club because, do you know, if you're a club and you don't want that player, you're the first person, the chairman's the first person to say, we don't want this player. He's taking this much money and out of budget, get him yeah. out. So you can't have it both ways. Um, yeah. Players deserve everything they get. As, as long as they're professional and, mm -hmm. and they're at it and, and they earn an honest living, they deserve them, them, them extra money when they come. Absolutely, and and you mentioned there about like the the wages, you know, maybe being a few days late and things like that. But there's a, there's a difference, I think, between how that was handled and how a lot of other clubs seem to be handling things like that. At the minute is that there was a communication line, there was an openness and an honesty, and I feel like that's missing from you know we, we've seen. You look at Reading, you look at Chef Wednesday, things like that. Clubs that are going through issues, Scunthorpe have been a, a massive one as well, where players haven't been paid um that there were reports of, of that happening at swindon recently and it's just about communication and i feel like a lot of people would be a hell of a lot more receptive and understanding if it didn't seem to be this big secret yeah, um i agree that's all clubs need to be and open and honest well that, well that was under simon corny when the new owner yeah took over then the wages weren't being paid and there was no communication and he yeah. thinks that just going to a foreign country and hide it away will will mask over the issue. It doesn't, because yeah. he's still lad, lads have still got to live here. And what would happen is we would, if our wage bill was let's say one hundred and fifty thousand a month, he'd come in with fifty grand and pay, say, pay the ones that that you can. Well, wow. do you pay the ones that are playing, who are on more, yeah. or do you pay the ones that are just under that that are on three, four hundred pounds a week? Yeah. You know, I remember a lad called Kalamantak who his um. His, his wage at Oldham would, would look after his mum and his little brother. He needed yeah. that. So then we're put in a position where we have to choose seven, eight players to pay yeah. and, and leave 15 out. And it was it was really, really tough. We then dipped into the, to the we get a certain amount for, for the academy each month from the Premier League. Um, we was using, dipping into that to spend mm -hmm. on, on first team wages. Then the academy... Parents and kids would turn up, they'd lock the gates because they haven't been paying the rent for that. And it was just issue after issue. And yeah. but like you say, no line of communication. I think by the time I've been sacked to Oldham, I've not been paid for six months. That's a cheek, isn't it? Imagine that. Imagine yeah, like, the cheek of that conversation. We've not paid you for six months. We're just letting you know you're not needed no more. Oh, fantastic. Did they ever pay you? I ended up getting it, but I, I, I said, listen, I'll wait and make sure that you play the players at that um that are doing it. It was just honestly it was difficult. But I do look back on it as a massive learning curve. Massive Absolutely. learning curve. It's one one of the first clubs that we covered doing this and it was a learning curve for me as well when I got the legal letter from the Lensagams. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, do you know what? I've got nothing to lose at this point. What are they gonna do? <laughs> so it was just a case of bring it on. 
um, and they didn't bring it on. They, they got rid of the club. But then, you know, we did a, a follow-up with Frank. You mentioned Frank. I, I, I've got so much time for Frank. Frank invited me over. Uh, you know, we had a three-course meal with him and his, his family and, and, and the Royals. And we watched a game. They, they lost to Wheelston. But you, you just, you could feel it. Yeah. It's like there's a there's a there's a good atmosphere back at the I, club. I still support the, I still support the club. I still take me and if, if we haven't got a game, obviously it's only yeah. nine or ten miles down the down the M sixty two. I'll still take take my 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 youngest lad and we'll, we'll stick a hat and a and a scarf and we'll go and watch it. It's the warmest warmest ground in the country. So that is a lie. That is an oh, outright lie. <laughs> I know, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean I've watched obviously the they're gonna go. They're gonna go back up. Mickey Mellon's a good manager, and now they've got finances yeah. that can can take them back up. I see that Frank's actually gonna roll the Atlantic. I don't know how that's gonna work, but it just it's shows a what a great guy. It's the second time he's done it. He's done it already once. Yeah, I don't, how? I just I, don't, I, well, it's, I, not, it's not just him rowing a boat on his own across the Atlantic. He's got to be other boats and security and safety measures put in place. I don't know. I don't. No, I don't think there is. I'm. I'm, I'm pretty sure. It's, um, yeah, I know. Well, I know. He told he told us all about it, but as far as I know, he's alone. He, as far as I know, he's, he's solo. Yeah. Um. So I, I, there'll probably be someone within a certain distance, but yeah, no, he's, do you know what? He's probably one of the best characters that I've seen in the game, like, since I started doing this. Like, I, I couldn't believe, because obviously you see the interviews and things, and you see it in football, you think that's a show, that's someone who's putting on a character for the, the camera. And then I went and yeah, met the no, guy, and I was just like, this guy yeah, is... Yeah. But but like what you've just said there about you know still being a fan and going in with the hat and going with your son and stuff that's what Pete Wilde does he does the same when he doesn't have a game so there's there is this love for that football club and everybody wants to see them get back like I obviously when you're a fan of a club in the league and like when Oldham were here I, I didn't want Oldham to beat us I wanted Oldham you, you always take I don't want to say how do I word it you, you're always happy when you see sort of local clubs struggling but not to that level and then like after starting to do this for me I was just like there's this is a club that really it's like Scunthorpe I hated Scunthorpe growing up because they had the they have they Billy Sharp and I think was it Andy Keogh Andy Keogh I hated that club with a passion now I was there last week in the club director's box having a meal and so because we've got a good relationship like I love that football club now yeah. and it's hard it's hard to it's hard to switch that off now because I'm I'm thinking when they do come back up, I'm going to really struggle to 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 do it. Same with Salford. I've got a really good relationship with Salford, but I'm playing. We're playing them next week, and I tell you what, I'm going to be switching that off before that whistle goes. Um, I'm going to find that really difficult. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Salford's another one for you. Um, 
you you managed at Salford. You also played at Salford, didn't you, before they, they got into the... the yeah, but, I'd, but... I'd, that was just... I'd gone by then. As a player, I'd yeah. gone. I, was 30, I think it was 36, 37. Yeah. I'd, I'd just gone. Back end. Um, as far as managing the club and as far as sort of seeing how how things have, have gone on, because it, it wasn't being being brutally honest with how how they kind of ran the club at that time. They were they were very very quick to pull the trigger. I felt, and I think a lot of people felt with a lot of stuff that they did, they would literally just pull the trigger the second they felt that something wasn't going right, even if they felt it was going right, but just not right enough. Graham Alexander had them fifth in the league, and they they sacked Graham Alexander. What was that like for you as a, as a manager there? Like because that's dealing with a chairman that's got such high expectations at a club that really is kind of at that point at its highest level it's at its pinnacle as as far as where it's gone as a club it's always been a non-league club it's gone into the EFL they're starting to to build something but I feel like the the owners and they were like the fans of that side of things like they wanted everything now was that how do you manage that I think one of the biggest the biggest it was a tough job because obviously you've got some really really high profile Mm -hmm. you know in terms of football world superstars that, that own the club yeah. Um, but I do think that COVID had a. I never lost. Yeah. A, I've I've never lost a game at Salford Stadium. I've never I never lost a home game. <laughs> really? Never. I've never lost oh, a home wow. game. So I got sacked and I've never lost a home game. Would you believe it? Wow. But that's, we went that's up, we went insane. on a run where the, the pitch at the ground wasn't great and we probably yeah. got four home games on the bounce called off. So we ended up having a run of like, I don't know how many away games on the bounce, and we drew two and we lost two. And it was difficult to get any. Yeah. Usually if you have a couple of away games and you, and you draw and you lose one, you get your home game back and you win it and it's and you start getting some yeah. momentum back. But it was really, I didn't enjoy COVID. I didn't enjoy no. COVID. So I asked my teams to press up and to work hard. I want to do that little bit of extra and the, and the fans appreciate that work and you get a clap for a tackle or some good bit yeah. of play, you, you, you become re-energised and, and you continue to do it. Um, I don't think I took over a great group of players, if I'm being honest. I think the wage bill there was was astronomical for the level. Um, yeah. But no, apart from Brandon and Santi Thomas, um, no no one really had a resale. Um, yeah. So, and, I, and I said it in an interview, I was probably out of order when we beat Salford last year. I, I was running on emotion and, and adrenaline was still in there and I dug a few things out, but if we're actually speaking the truth, a lot of them, I mean, my me, me strikers were Ian Henderson, who was 36. Yeah. He went to Rochdale and got relegated. Yeah, yeah. Tom Elliott yeah. couldn't get a club after Salford. He couldn't get a club. He came, on loan to, he came on loan to us, didn't he? He, he came on loan he to came Bradford. came on loan to you, but then won his contract at Salford. Now, yeah. I don't think he's got a club. No. The sequel, he's at, I think he's at Halifax. He might, or he's, he's, moved in, he's moved around non, non-league. Um, not... Not one of the players have moved up. No. So, you know, it's it's really difficult. Graham Alexander's been successful with the way that he plays, but my style is totally, totally different. And I probably yeah. had out of a squad of twenty-four players, I probably had two or three players. Yeah. The goalkeeper was very good. Haladki was very good, he's at Twitch now. Um, I probably had two or three players who could play my style. And you think, okay, we'll get the transfer windows. And, and we'll move on and we'll evolve the team and we'll start playing better football. And and I can relate to the team and what I'm seeing. Yeah. Um, you know, but I never really got a transfer window where I, I, I signed. I only got three free loans in. Yeah. Robbie Gox was a free loan from Leeds. Um, Tom James from Hibs and Paul Coots. Funny enough, 
he didn't like Paul Cooch and he didn't like Tom James. Paul Cooch went the year after and won promotion with Bristol Rovers. Tom yeah. James was right back for me at Leighton Orient last year and yeah. was probably the best fullback in the league. But they didn't like them signings because I'd signed them. Yeah. And it was a little bit like, and I understand where Gary came from in the end. He knew that I wasn't, I wasn't having a lot of the players, and mm. I thought they was. They should have kept Gary. They should have kept Graham Alexander. If he's going to keep the same squad, keep yeah. the manager. They, they signed them all because you want to play that same style of football. Don't get me in and then don't back me to try and change the, the culture of the club and the way uh, that your style is. Um, and I think Gary just took the the view of to sack me. I didn't take any staffing with me at, at Salford, so I had no football staff with me. So he only had to sack me. Yeah. I could keep yeah. all the other staff, or do I let Rich have 15 new players? Yeah. It's a lot cheaper to get rid of me than get rid yeah. of 15 players. But again, look where the club is. So well, I that, think that... in hindsight, if he would have backed me, I think Salford would Salford now would be a be a League One club. But I respected his decision, and, and you know what? I didn't argue the case. I wasn't going to change the the way that I was. Could I have handled yeah, things yeah. differently? Yeah, my communication could have been a lot better. I must admit. Um, yeah. And again, I've learned a lot from that. I like yeah. Gary. I think he's a top guy, real top guy. And yeah. when you watch him on Sky Sports and he's doing his debrief, I know he has loads of presenters um, feeding him <laughs> stuff. And, he's, and, it, and he talks a hell of a lot of sense and he sees the game really well. Yeah. In my opinion, he had an emotional uh, financial attachment to them players and it can cloud your, your perspective on things. I think I think there is that's something that frustrates me is that if I if I watch sort of Monday night football and I see Gary Neville and like you like you say he speaks a lot of sense and people listen to what he has to say and like I just wish that he'd use that platform to highlight this league highlight the lower leagues because we've got a hell of a lot of talent and yeah. a hell of a lot of good football in, and this is still people talk about you know the Premier League and they talk about it becoming sort of overpriced and people getting priced out of games because they've got players on three, four hundred thousand pounds a week. This is still what football always was. It's the working man's game yeah. down here. It's, it's and it I always th- will be. I still think he does a lot of good good as well. I mean he paid a lot he paid a lot of people furlough at Salford. He's one of the, the, the yeah. people to do that. He put his hotel up for for accommodation for NHS stuff. I, I do I think he speaks a lot of sense even in the meetings I hear he speaks a lot yeah. of good things as well. He's just that he grew up with Alex Ferguson. Standards are a bit and, higher than at that point, aren't you? And his standards are, you know what, you are this, this, and this. If you roof, but I was, I was having a certain player. I won't name his name. I told him not to go home on a Thursday night. We have, we'd have um, the day off, and I told him not to go home because he lived in London. And he was coming home, and he, he would, he would drive. So I was telling him to come home on a Thursday night, not the Friday morning. He would leave at four o'clock in the morning. Would turn up to training. His hair's all over. His eyes, he would train really, really poorly. So Gary got a meeting with his agent. And I said, Gary, I won't pick him. He's late. His standards are poor. He doesn't train train well. His output is, no, Rich, you've got to play and give him another chance. Come on, if this is for Alex Ferguson, that player would be out the door straight away. Yeah. And he's a Man United fan. And he's, he's seen over the last four or five years that mm. some of them players, attitude-wise, are not to... And he's, he's out. He's saying these should players need to get out. Yeah. And I was at Salford that is the very same predicament. And I wanted certain players out to build a culture. And yeah. once you start getting these certain players out, the other players look at you and go, he means business. And when he's mm-hmm. making a decision, he's backed by the board, i.e. Gary at the time and Karen, I, I really like Karen. 
Boringham, yeah. and he's making them decisions, and now he's being backed by Gary. Well, we better get on board with this guy because yeah. he's, he's, we need to, he's, he's, the owners are sticking by him. Yeah. As soon as the players see that he, the, the manager's not being supported, then them players knew that they was never going to get a new contract for me because they could not get a team promoted from League Two, never mind getting into the top six of, of League One. And that was a real frustration for me. I think that kind of it, it kind of undermines you a little bit, doesn't it? When a player's sat there and you're saying, I'm not going to play him, and the, the owners are saying, no, you need to. And the, yeah. that player knows that your opinion really is being overrided and they can carry on doing what they've done. Yeah, no, I mean, there's been a there's been a big change, I think, at, at, at Salford. And I think that's quite evident when you, you look at, being brutally honest, that the form that they've they've gone through this season um, under under Neil Wood, and I think three four years ago, I don't think Neil Wood would have been given the opportunity in the time that he's being given now. I'm not saying that he shouldn't be because I do think that you know they've got a hell of a lot of injuries and things like that. But there's, there seems to have been a change in the way that they approach things, and managers are being given that 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 extra chance to to really get things going and build something themselves. Well, what's, so what's changed, what's changed massively is the style of football is really good. Yeah, they play a good style of football. One thing I will say as well, what Gary's done great is the academy at Salford is really, really good. They're yeah. promoting a lot of young players. Um, again, that was a, a, a our the players that I had. It was all aging. They've been at. Yeah. It, sometimes you, if you think you're signing a championship player at 34 years old and he's dropping down to League Two, you think he's a good signing. Mm-hmm. The legs have gone. They've yeah. only come there for a last payday. They ain't that hungry to to really drive themselves and others around them to get back up because they know that if they get back up, they're going to get released. But yeah. if they stay in League 2, they're probably going to get a new contract. So you need to be careful when you're signing players dropping down. They're not happy with the facilities, with the training ground, so you moan at things like that. So there's been a lot of good at that club that has been gone on in the last five, six years. But even, even from when he first took over, he took it a hell of a long way. Um, but now when I watch Tolford play, I enjoy watching them play football. They've got yeah. some really technical good players. We had two tough games against them last year and I hope for their sake that they can continue that style of yeah. football and get better players in and, and get promoted. I think looking at their squad on Saturday, I, I believe they only had eight first team players fit. Like, it, as well, in any, what you would... Any, you, yeah, any, any club at League One, League Two level, the, the, the drop-off from your first 14, 15 players to, mm. to underneath that, we don't have... So at Leighton Orient, we don't have a B team or a reserve we have yeah. first team 18s and the gap is, 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 huge. is huge. So I understand Neil Wood's pain where, yeah. and where he's coming from there. Yeah, we, we were there the other week. We watched them play Peterborough in the Cup um, and, and they gave a really good account of themselves because Peterborough are not a, a walkover yeah. team. Like Peterborough are a very, very well-oiled team and they gave, brutally honest, they should have won. 4-3 in the 121st minute, there's been one minute of added time and the referee played two more minutes when the ball didn't yeah. go out of play and they scored in the 90, well, 123rd minute. It was, oh, the people were raging. Um, so I'm going to come on to Swindon. We've kind of, we've not done this in any order here, Richard. This has been, this has been, this has been class. I've, I've enjoyed it because it is like, this is just how my brain works. I've, I've just allowed my brain to just run wild here. Um, but I'm going to come <laughs> on to Swindon because I've got, I've got questions around your time at Swindon because, Am I right in saying that when you were manager at Swindon, was Paul Jewell involved at the club at that point? Yeah, so so Paul Jewell was actually my assistant manager at Oldham. And right. when he come in, I kind of look at Paul as a kind of mentor because yeah. he's a manager that's obviously, you know, he, he was a player that never quite reached the top, but then he was a manager that reached the top, managing the Premier League, won promotions yeah. to the Championship, and he come in at Oldham and I thought he, with a 
with the, the problems that I would I was having with the owners, I thought it'd be a real good sounding board, full yeah. of full of opinions. For, you know, would argue, loved him to bits, but then he couldn't stand the, the chairman and the things that were going in the background, so he left. Mm-hmm. But then when I got sacked, he'd obviously seen something in me that Lee Powell was his his mate. That you know, give Richie a chance. I think there's a lot of good things that Richie's got. He, I think he was sold a bit of a you know a problem at, at Oldham. I think give him an opportunity. I think he'll reward you. And yeah. Um, yeah. so Lee Powell gave me the opportunity to to go in as manager, and, and Paul Jewell was my my director of football, which I think helped him. And I think a lot of young managers go make him make the mistake of getting either the mates in or people in around the same age group yeah. that have the form the same opinions. You know, Julie's from a totally different I I'm a little bit old school like Paul, but he's yeah. ultra old school. You know, I've got yeah. two young kids. I've got a young kid who's a twenty year old and a kid who's both in academies at fifteen. So I kind of understand the the younger generation now, but he's totally, totally old school, and I love that. I love that yeah. as well. So he's a brilliant sounding board advice. If you go through two or three games without winning, he just drop little nuggets, little bits of advice that you just go, oh, I get it, I see it, brilliant, yeah. brilliant feeler. And then obviously my relationship with the chairman was was always brilliant because my my goal between was was Paul Julie, who I loved to bits, and Lee Parry, who was his best mate. So he worked brilliant, and obviously then he. He would sort all the signings out in terms of speaking to agents, doing the deals. I think it suited him that he, he could come in when he, he was no pressure to be in every single day at nine yeah. o'clock and not leave till five. He could play golf. He could be relaxed, knowing that he could trust us to get on with the, with the training ground stuff, and he could be in the background, just you know, putting everything together. But he was a tremendous help. He's, he's someone now that he would speak to, him, you know, probably once a week. Yeah, well, I mean, look. I don't have to talk about Paul Jewell and Bradford. Like he's, yeah, he, he took us to the top, and we got to yeah. yeah, like some of the best years that we. I don't think we'll personally ever see it again. It's it's surreal that we got to witness it, and yeah, he's he's held in huge like high regard. I think everywhere he's been, really, there's not many clubs where he's not got that that status about him. Um, well, one of the questions from Swindon fans was about was about the owner, but you've kind of answered it there, like it worked because you had a. You had a go between. You didn't really have to deal with the owner directly because you had someone who was so close to him that you knew you could trust and you knew you would get the honest truth from. Um, so I, I don't really think from that perspective there's there's anything there. But I want to just – something that I noticed about your time at Swindon, and I want to ask you if you you agree with this. So when when I spoke to Pete Wilde, Pete Wilde said – you mentioned a three-year plan that you're currently in with, with, with Orient. And Pete Wilde said the same thing, that he goes in with a three-year plan. He says, when you go into a club and you take over after the season started, season one is crisis management. It's making sure that you are stable, you've got what you need to get through that season, and then season two you have that opportunity to to put your own stamp on things. Did you feel that that was the same for you? Because your first season at Swindon, you sort of came in November time, <coughs> didn't you? That Was that first season sort of just essentially trying to get through to the end of it and find out where your weaknesses and things laid so that in the summer you could rebuild? Yeah, again, it's relative to what club you have. So right. if, you, if you're barrow in League 2, I totally get that. If you're yeah, swimming yeah. in League 2, you need to be right up there. Otherwise, you're under massive well. pressure. So my first game was was basically League Power. The, the, the club was at, at valued at about £8, eight million. Pound. Mm-hmm. If we got to League 1, it was £16 million. Pound. It's a 40-minute journey from Paddington from London. You know, it's a good... It's a good size stadium. It's yeah, got yeah. room around the stadium to, to build on top of it. 
hotels, etc. And the fan base is absolutely tremendous. So and from a selling point, it's it's an attractive proposition. And yeah. so my remit was to try and get the club from League Two to League One to double the value. So then League would, would sell the club. And um, I'm, I'm in my first week, I probably signed on a Thursday. I probably had one or two training sessions. I turn up, it's 4,000 there. We're playing Carlisle at home against my old manager, John Sheridan. Yep. 4,000 there, of which they're all just protesting. We want the chairman out. Yeah. And it was like, for the first half an hour, it was absolutely brilliant. I had to sub a midfield player off because his wife had just gone into labour. And the, the fans are doing me. Because How selfish! How selfish of Because they don't, they don't know the. They just think I'm subbing him off. They don't know the, yeah. the reasoning behind it. And at the end of the game, we've been beat four 0 And I just want the, the ground to swallow me up. I'm thinking, Jesus Christ, you're coming for a little bit of criticism. But then we have a full week to train, and we win the, the next three. Yeah. Next three games, we go from twentieth to you know we get away from that that relegation, and um, it gives us a little bit of breathing space, and. And I knew that we had some core players, the likes of Keshi Anderson, way, way too good for, for League Two. We had a core group of players that, you know what, if we get our recruitment right in the summer, then then we could do a lot of damage. We flirted with the playoffs in that first, it wasn't even a full season. I think I went in after about 20 games. Yeah, November last, time, I think you went back yeah. in the November, yeah, after we, Phil we Brown. Flirted the, we flirted with the playoffs. And then we, but I didn't want to get in the playoffs because it would have been like, League One now, really? Where do we go from here? Um, and what the plan was, was was to get to the summer. We got the likes of Jerry Yates, some stupid club, London's Owen Doyle. Oh, come right, right. No, he he didn't work at Brad. Certain players don't work at certain clubs, and he didn't I, work I for think us. It's the style. I think it's the style. Yeah, we we uh, and yeah, we his his style didn't work. But yeah, we. Oh. You know, Swindon fans are going to be all over this now. Yeah. They're going to clip that little bit in my face when you mentioned it because I get that constantly. It. Yeah, but it's happening again this season. He was he was getting to the point where me and Doyle had to, me and Doyle had argue. So when he scored two, I take him off, and as he's coming off, he's going, "You're not scoring another trick, Doyle. I can't be having you in the in the papers again." And Bradford ringing me and I'm thinking he just put <laughs> us under more pressure to keep him. So it was yeah. actually the amount of times he was freeing him up at half time or. Three or four in the look with 20 minutes ago, and I just take him off and just try and not. I didn't want him to score in the last yeah. 20 minutes when games were already won. It was, it was, it was an unbelievable situation, if I'm being honest. It was 28 Yeah, I bet it was. And then we signed, we, we signed him, we signed Jerry H, who was absolutely brilliant for us. Zeki Fry was brilliant for us. Um, Andy Grant was very, very good for us. We signed a goalkeeper from Swansea, who's at Fulham now, Stephen Bender, exceptional goalkeeper. And you, you link them in with Michael Dowdy, with Keshi Anderson, with Kane Mullera, where did Lloyd, Lloyd is Grove. We now built a squad that I'm looking at and thinking we should be top three of League Two. Yeah. But when we get to League One, I only need to change four or five players and we've got yeah. a chance again. It's just Todd's law that, that COVID happens and then we get the promotion. But Bender goes, all the lone players go. Romani Edmonds Green, yeah. um, Michael Doughty retires, Keshi Anderson leaves to go Blackpool, Jerry Yates goes to Blackpool, and I lose eighty percent of my my starting my starting team, and then I have to go into a League One season with a reduced budget, and it's and it's tough. It's really really tough because I really it was my baby. It's like Leighton Orient now. It's yeah. my baby. I, I try and visualise where we're going to go with it and. You know, okay, this position needs this 
in this amount of time and then we can do that and what do we need from this position and you're putting building blocks in place I've literally built a really good block of apartments I'm about to put the penthouse on and someone comes and just swipes it all down but takes the bottom floor again, out again it was, again, it was, a, it was brilliant because the chairman goes Rich there's your budget spend how you want if you want to go and give a striker 30 grand a week and do your budget on one striker go and do it but just wow there's a key to my house, go and do it. My relationship with Lee, I can't speak highly enough of him. Absolute brilliant, brilliant guy. Brilliant. We would meet and we, we would we'd have a meeting and he'd say, meet me in this pub and we'd have 10 pints and we wouldn't even talk about the, we wouldn't <laughs> even talk about the, about the, the game coming up or the previous game. He loves his horse racing, I love my horse racing. We speak about different things and it was an absolute, you know, absolute place. Just a travesty the way it, the way it, the way it finished. It didn't. It didn't end well, um, and, and I don't think they've ever really recovered. Um, they obviously, when they came down, they had that season where they they made the playoffs and uh, they they lost to Vale in the playoff semis. But I don't feel like as a club they've yet recovered. They've not bounced back fully yet. Like it will happen, and we all yeah, like, we all bit, know. But Liam, it's a very club that's similar to Bradford. Them supporters yeah. will always. It just needs someone to grab hold of it. Yeah, and, and just once get them back get, on track. And once you get them grab hold of it. You know, so I talk about the first game being four thousand. By the time I'd left, one of the last home games was extra at home, and there was thirteen thousand there. It was full to the rafters, and you know what? If we'd have had five or six more thousand spaces, it would have filled up as well. It was just the transition what we we'd gone through was was absolutely unbelievable. Who was the last team you played? Obviously, the league was cancelled, wasn't it, because of COVID? Who was the last it was, team you played? It was actually on the way up. So when, when it got cancelled, we was actually on the way up to Oldham to play Oldham. Yeah. And Who was the last team you played before that? Do you remember? Oh, I can't remember. Bradford. Was it Bradford, yeah? Uh, yeah, one, as one. far as I... Yeah, yeah. yeah um, one, one. Was that a, Do- a Doyle sign. Last which, which, which always seems to happen in Bradford's winning games. There's always a last-minute goal, and it's usually against us because um, yeah. we seem to slip off towards the end. But on, on the Doyle situation, right, I'm going to give you the Bradford perspective of this, right? So... Phenomenal first half of the season. This is why I'm worried about Jake Young because it's happening again and it literally is like we're seeing it this season. It's it's awful because we didn't have the greatest of starts to the season. Obviously, Andy Cook was carrying an injury. We've, we've lost our manager and then we've ended up sitting and watching Jake Young. I think he's on 16 goals now, yeah. which is, I think he's on 22 goal contributions and I think we've only scored 25 or 24 as a club. Um, and he... When Doyle came back, because obviously Bradford called him back, didn't they? And he played, I think he played two games for us. I, wa- I watched him away. At, one was Ka- uh, Colchester away and one was Mansfield away. The Colchester away, I watched him. And I went with my assistant and I'm thinking, I'm saying, if we don't, if we don't know Doyle, and I'm yeah. looking at him now, ready to say, I won't touch him. No. He just didn't want to be him. there at that point, though, did he? Because he'd built that relationship with you guys and the, the team there. And there was... It's- it's that, but it was also he didn't like long balls, and yeah. we would send where we just wanted him to stay in between the centre backs all the time and make certain runs, you know, off the back of we would fill the pockets either side of him with the two wingers, and our full backs would give us a width. So he's surrounded by players. I watched yeah. him, and he's not he, Doyle, listen, Doyle will tell you he's not the quickest, but his movement, his counter movements, yeah. and his awareness in the box is is exceptional, and his yeah. finishing is really really good as well. So. We, when I watched him in them two games at Bradford, he was isolated, had to run channels. Well, if you ask him to do that, then you're not going to see, you're not going to see the best of him. No, you got to build, you've got to build your team around players like that, haven't you? The players that you yeah. know can win your games. Um, 
do you know what? Like, I'm sat here, right, and I'm looking back over my notes for this interview, and I'm thinking, I don't even know why I asked to do this, because this has been soul-destroying. I have literally relived some of the worst times as a fan. Like, we've had, I've had Doyle come up. I've spoke about the Doncaster team that we hated playing. That scene when, that season, Swindon, you know, you guys were, were, were dominant. I believe, was it you guys? Did your crew go up with you as well um, that yeah, year? Yeah, I think crew finished second, Plymouth. Yeah. Finished third, both full of good players, both yeah. teams. So we we had we interviewed Dave Artell as well and about the same season and obviously it would have it been interesting to see how that would have played out towards the end oh, of the season. So we had we had ten games left, yeah, and ten of the bottom eleven. We had ten of the bottom eleven of which we were pretty ruthless against yeah. against them kind of teams. We'd gone through that January where we had uh, Plymouth away and yeah. Crew we played Crew at home and we beat we didn't have no Doyle. Everyone was saying Doyle and Yates have gone back. You'll you know, you'll you'll blow it, and we just kept ticking kept over. Going. And then once we got them back, hey, there was no stopping you, was there? Yeah, we've not absolute no chance. <laughs> yeah, I like to see Swindon fans are going to love that. There, they're going to absolutely love that. Um, well, obviously, you know, we've covered Doncaster, we've covered Salford, we've covered uh, Swindon, we've spoke about Oldham. We started with Leighton Orient, but <coughs> I want to ask. I've got, a, I've had the same question sent in by several people. Um, and it's not a, it's not about something that happened in your career. It's about an if. It's about a potential. It's about a rumor about your managerial career. Now, this isn't a slight on Leighton, not Leighton Orient in any way because you wouldn't change anything because you've gone to Leighton Orient, you've, you've thrived. But before Bradford got Mark Hughes, there were rumors that you were going to be unveiled as Bradford manager. And I've been asked this so many times. Was that something that you? were close to was it as close as it was reported or was it just general discussions did it never happen because we obviously we don't know what goes on we only get the rumors and it's so hard but i've got so many bradford fans that just want to know what we missed out on let's be brutally honest yeah it was um it was it was weird it was really really weird so i'd i'd, I'd applied it so I, I spoke to the ceo when well, my agent spoke to the ceo and he was very like listen we these one person that we bought, we really like Richie. And then something happened really quickly where my odds went from like one to 10 or something. And usually when it goes to them odds, someone's got a job. And you know what it's like? People ring you, you come to this price and you come to that price. And I'm like, but I've not heard anything. So I thought, have I got this? But no, we're just waiting for a phone call. And then um, one of the player's agents rang me and said, have you got the Bradford job? And I was like, no. And this was probably about three weeks before I got the Leighton Orient job. The Leighton Orient job hadn't, hadn't come up by this time. Yeah, yeah. And an agent ringed me and gone, have you got the Bradford job? I was like, well, no, I've not heard anything. He said, oh, like the, the players have been told to be in at the ground uh, tomorrow earlier because they're about to do a press conference. Like, well, it's not me. Yeah. And I literally, because I was out of work then, I, I had a line in the morning. And literally at half nine in the morning, it flashes up on my phone going, Mark Hughes, um, has accepted the Bradford job. I dropped my phone and just went because it looks like a you know a yeah. brilliant announcement. Mark uses you know the amount of games that he's I mean a career he's a hero my Mark started yeah. watching when Brian Hobson playing for Man United but brilliant managerial career very surprised that he that he dropped into League Two. Um yeah. he was when when um when Mark left there was a couple of phone calls um to see if I would be interested. I've probably had a five or six offers since I've been to been at Leighton Orient. But one oh. of the question marks, one of the question marks against me, I've had, Bradford's a massive club. I've had probably two or three clubs in League One. 
ring me and said, would I be interested in speaking to him? Probably more prepared to go up than Leighton Orient. And then one, at the end of last year, one club kind of higher league asked me if I would be interested in talking to him. But one of the people that, sorry, one of the things that people um, put against me was loyalty. You know, when I left Swindon, with the threat of yeah. Lee Power losing the club, with the threat of COVID, me wanting to be at home with my family and then, People always said, oh, he's not loyal and he's not this. So I've made a conscious effort that the, the people at Leighton Orient, the owners first and foremost, Martin Ling, who's my director of football, and very similar to the relationship that I have with Martin, that I have with Paul Jewell, um, yeah. and then my relationship with the supporters, along with a three-year plan, has made yeah. me think, why would I go elsewhere at the moment when so many people have put their faith in me? I want to put my loyalty back into them. Absolutely. And that, that's that's how it should be. And I think that there should be more people that look at it that way. Um, I, I genuinely, I'm, I'm shocked that you just said that there was a call after Mark left. Um, I didn't know that. That wasn't even a rumour. I mean, people did say, go and get Richie Wellens from, from Orient. And like, they'd say it to me and I'd be like, he's a, a League One club thriving. Like, why, why would he drop to us? Like, we've got a, yeah, look, I mean, Oh, that's that's throwing me as that there. Um, I do have some. When we finished, I'll, I'll, I've got I've got something else you you mentioned there that I have an answer to um, that I can I can talk to you about. Um, but as far as Orient's concerned, so that's that's the now. That's where you're at. You're you're in this three year plan. For you, is it you you want to obviously progress and you want to push on into that that top half? How, how long is it? You're sort of looking before you're thinking that as a club or as a team, you'll have built something that you feel is ready to to look at maybe making that step? How long do you feel aware you are from that? I know it's a hard question to answer, I suppose, but... I, I think you <clears throat> you don't really put a, a time frame on that. You see the team evolving, and if you yeah. see it evolving at the right rate that you want it to, then you're happy to, to start adding layers on. And if you're not, then you need to make changes in terms of, of when the transfer window happens. We've given a lot of players a lot of opportunities this year we picked a team on Tuesday night, but the average age of our team is under 22. Wow. Which, again, is a lot, a lot of young players. So we need to ride that when them young players make mistakes, we need to go through their learning processes, um, which I'm prepared to do. Sometimes, even though it's a three-year plan, some of our supporters ain't happy at the moment because we're not winning every week. We don't beat Wigan at home, even though Wigan have got some championship players still and the budget's a lot higher than ours. We're still not happy about beating Wigan. Well, okay, we drew 1-1. How do we draw 1-1? Well, apart from the first five minutes when we can start very well, for the next 85 minutes, we're pretty dominant in the game. It's a really, really comfortable 1-1. And if anybody's going to win it, we're going to win it. But we haven't because we've not got quite them little them little nasty things and little game management things yet to get us to that 2-1, that 3-1 victory. But we, we're happy with that. If we're drawing 1-1 and it's the Alamo and we're sitting in deep, and we're defending crosses every two minutes, and we, and we come off and we go, how do we steal a point? Then I'm worried. But yeah. I'm not. I'm happy with the way things are going. We need a, we need another striker because we have 65% of the ball, and we need another attacking threat because Jordan Graham's out injured. We've only just got, got Dan Adji fit. Um, he's played two 10 minutes in, in the last two games. It's the first time he's kicked the ball for us. Aaron Drennan right. has not really got going this year because injured pre-season, injured again now. And when you're having to totally disrupt, when I when I get a, a settled system and have a striker and two wide men and a striker and two wide men on the bench and they do 67 and these come on 23 and you just keep the same stuff going but with fresh energy, 
and at higher intensity for the last 20 minutes than we're really good. But at the moment, we start the season off and we haven't won in four. I have to change and go to three at the back because we've got three, four really good centre-backs. I have to change to stabilise us in the league. And in the next 10 games, we get 16, should have been 19 points because we played Lincoln, we got disallowed. But we, we get a set of points that, OK, yeah. now we're starting to grow. And now we can start to go back the way that we want to play football again. But unfortunately, we've picked up a, a couple of injuries. I don't think you put a time frame on it. I think you, you, your eyes don't lie to you. You can see people improving. Yeah. And as soon as you, you think that you know, players start drifting and, and are just getting really comfortable, then we, we move them out and we get, we get new players in. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I I agree. I think uh, I think that's a that's you can see as long as you can see movement forward and not stagnating or moving backwards. That's 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 always a good thing, isn't it? There's always that progression going there. I had a question just sent in literally right now, um, and I haven't read this, so I'm going to read it out as it is. Um, in terms of player recruitment, is statistics now a big part of player recruitment alongside clips, or is there a heavier alliance of <coughs> one, one more than the other? Um, it's the person who sent it in is very interested in that sort of field. So, it's, yeah, do you guys kind of look at statistics a lot more now than you used to? Uh, I think XG is obviously a really big thing for a lot of people now, which I, I don't understand that. Yeah, I mean, for XG is a really good one because you might be looking at strikers that have only scored five or six goals in a season, but yeah. the keeper might have pulled off some unbelievable saves. Yeah. They hit the post, hit the bar. They've missed chances what usually would take and the expected goals might be 18, 20, where they've only scored five. So you can see development in them kind of yeah. players. I think that each coach, each manager has to break them down them characteristics of what they want from that position. We just mentioned Owen Doyle. Owen Doyle yeah. for Bradford can't score. Owen Doyle for why? You yeah. look at some of the centre-halves in our league and you look at them statistically and they head it like so many times we don't play long ball. So we don't really want them stats for us because every time we get a free kick, if it's in a good area, we'll put it in. But if yeah. we have a free kick in our own half, we'll hand on and play. Whereas a lot of other teams, you send everyone up and the centre-halves are winning, you know, a lot, a lot of heavy balls in opposition boxes. Well, that's not really relative to the way that we want to play. So I think it's important that you do get stats involved because it can be helpful and break them down how you want, you want your team to look and the important stats. But when they look favourable and you've yeah. narrowed this 2,000 players down to 20, then go and watch them. I, wow. I, I go and watch players a lot. I get there early. I watch the yeah. body language, what it's what they're like in warm-ups. Um, I see uh, sometimes if they get there in the sub, I watch them. I watch how they warm up. I watch the mannerisms on the bench, see what the body language is, see when they come on, did they impact the game or are they sulking. Load, loads and loads of different aspects. Um, and I, but the biggest one for me is when you're about to sign a player, you obviously watch him, you do your homework on the pitch. Yeah. But then speak to players who have worked with him, speak to managers who have worked with him. And you know what? Yeah. There's a lot of good people in the industry who, who will give you the honest opinion. And very rarely have I been sold short when I ask people no. that I trust their, their opinion. That's mad. That's that's absolutely mad. Um, that you, yeah, I, I've never thought about players' body language sat on a bench and things like that. It's just, for me, I always think they're not switched on until that point, like until they come on the field. So, but yeah, I suppose it, yeah, you've got to look at how they adapt to being dropped to the bench or how they're going to warm up when they're told to go out and things. Because I suppose you can tell what sort of play you're going to get on the field, then can't you? If they're really, really intense in the warm up when the play, when the game's going on, because they're going to come on, or if they kind of half ass it, you know that there's two different sort of players there. 
I yeah, I, I really like that, and I think that that's given a really good answer for well, for the for the Lancaster name. A, a good example is last year at Leighton Orient, we had one player that got double figures in goals. Yeah, a lot of our we played some brilliant football at times. We played some dogged football where we had to put it in areas, win second balls and fight and scrap because it's League Two. Some of the pitches ain't great. Some of the stadiums are small and the conditions can impact the game. But what we did have is we had 22 lads, 25 lads, group of staff that loved each other, that worked hard, that respected that the manager could only pick 11 players. And when a teammate is coming off for his other teammate, they respected each other, they didn't complain. Okay, we had conversations in the background about, okay, he's not happy about playing and, and what have you, but every single player respected. I think part of our success last year was was the team spirit. Uh, that, that, that that wins you the league more than money does, doesn't it? At times, like that's that's what's going to drag you over the line when it comes to those hard months and the injury crisis. And like you say, those clubs that you go into where the, the, the stadiums are not, they're not great. You know, we're not going to throw certain clubs under the bus, but there, there's a lot in League Two that you look at, and I, I, I go and visit, and I'm like, oh, God, sat there, you're freezing cold because you're open to the elements because it's you, there yeah. may as well not be four stands there because they're all tiny little things, and then, yeah, that's why you've got to make your home, your home things count. So, I've got one last question for you, and this is more of a challenge, and it's for you and Leighton Orient. Um, we at the beginning of this year. Your media team don't know this is coming, so you might say yes to this and they might go, absolutely not. Um, so we, at the beginning of this year, well, two years ago, Soccer AM finished, and it, for me growing up, that was like a staple for me. Like it was, that was that was where I got my football fixed before I went to football. It was so good. One of the things that we loved about it was Crossbar Challenge. So we've taken on Crossbar Challenge this season and we've been challenging yeah. clubs. So um, I've got four clubs currently that are doing it. We're, we're at Barrow on Monday. We're going to Scunthorpe. Uh, we're going to be doing some stuff with Salford to do, hopefully do a crossbar challenge there. Richie Wellens, will Leighton Orient accept the crossbar challenge? Oh, absolutely. Just don't ask me to do it. I'm too old now oh. and I can't reach that far. Right. Okay, so that I'm, I'm happy not to ask you to do it on the proviso that you don't ask me to do it. Because I genuinely like that's my worry about Barrow on Monday. I'm going to Barrow on Monday, and like I've got these Barrow players all fired up for it, and I've got a feeling that they're going to ask me to take the first kick, and like I can't do it. There's no way. So we'll back each other on that. I'll I'll hold my hamstring. If you pick a different injury, or it'll look a bit sus. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, we'd we'd love it. We'd love to get you involved, and we'd uh, yeah, no, look, absolutely. Well, look, honestly, I can't thank you enough for this, and. It's it genuinely like being one of I think the more eye-opening ones for me, and I can only thank you for your honesty as well. Like you've just you've handled everything thrown at you. It's it's amazing. Um, I hope everybody who's watching or listening has has enjoyed this, and I hope we can we can do this again sometime. We'll have a we'll have a, a catch up when you've got Leighton Orient promoted from League One. When that when that day comes, we'll have that conversation. Um, but for now, thank you very much. Um, yeah. I, I can't say much. I'm, I'm a bit gobsmacked by some of the stuff that we spoke about tonight. But honestly, thank you so much for doing this. We do really appreciate it. No, absolute pleasure. Cracking. Guys, we will catch you next time. Thank you very much. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. 
United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 